We're going to be in Romans chapter 11 this morning. Now, I would venture to say of all of the pages in your Bible that uh, Romans 11 probably has the fewest notes. If you ever take notes in your Bible, the, Romans 11 has the fewest notes in it because it's a chapter that we often skip over and it's not preached very much. But the Lord led us to go through the book of Romans. And so I can't skip a chapter, right? Uh, just because it's... Uh, Maybe not speaking directly to us, but I hope that I bring out this morning something that you'll find in this chapter that will touch your life. It's a chapter about God dealing with the Jewish people. And um, you might say, well, what's God dealing with the Jewish people got to do with me trying to keep my marriage together? Or me trying to uh, worry about my health? Or me trying to fix my finances? Or me trying to protect my family from immorality? All the things that Christians uh, face today, or even people who are not Christian, face a lot of difficulties in life. What has Romans chapter 11, where God deals with the Jews, got to anything to do with me? And so I did a lot of digging in because I wanted to present something to you. And so I found some reasons that we can look at Romans chapter 11. And the first one is this, that God, uh, well, let's just say it like this. Can the promises of God fail? Can the promises of God fail? Some people think maybe so. Some people feel like they might be able to fail. Uh, let's go back in Jeremiah chapter 31, I believe, on the screen. God said this through the prophet Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel shall also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. So if the sun and the moon stop shining or could stop shining and giving us light, God says, then I could reject Israel. But God made a promise to us that as long as there is time, the sun and the moon will never stop. The seasons will never cease until God returns, till the end comes, till we are in heaven with him. And so that's a promise that God made us that he would not ever cast out his people. So let's read about that a little bit. Let's stand together and read Romans chapter 11, verse 1. Through verse 6, the Bible says, I say then, Paul says, I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be, for I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scriptures say in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed thy prophets, they have torn down thine altars, and I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. Verse 4, but, when, but what is the divine response to him? 
I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it is by grace, then it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Let's pray together. Lord, bless your word today and show us the promises, Lord, that you've made to us as Christian people. And help us be reassured that they will not fail or falter. And that you love us, Lord, and that you care for us. And you are saving us and restoring us for that day when we will see you face to face. And I pray that tonight, this morning, I mean in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Jeremiah said that those things would not stop. He goes on to say in uh, chapter 31, verse 37, Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out below, then I will also cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. So the promises of God will not fail, cannot fail. They are forever. They are eternal. So he begins in our text this morning in verse 1, uh, uh, has God cast off Israel? It seems like that because he's taken away the good news from them and he ventured out to put it into you and mine's hands. He put it into our heart. God did that in order to make Israel jealous. We talked about that on uh, last Sunday when a, when a kid has a toy and he plays with it a while, then he puts it down in a room full of other children and another kid goes and picks up that toy and he runs back and snatches it back because, you know, I wasn't playing with it, but it's my toy. That's the idea that God is using with the Jews. He brought the message to the Jews. We read this morning from the scriptures that God didn't pick the Jews because they were strong, powerful, mighty people. He picked them because he loved them and he picked them to keep his oath with, that he made with Abraham. Right? And so God doesn't pick us because we're uh, pickable. God picks us even when we're despicable. All right? And He loves us and chooses us, saves us because He loves. And so we talked about a remnant here in our scripture. We're going to talk about that, but I want to just clear up the idea of verse 1. It says, Has God rejected His people, Israel? forever? And the answer, of course, is no. The promises of God will not fail us. You can trust that God will fulfill His promises. So number one, God, uh, we must understand that the Jews' future uh, is based upon God's promises, and they will not fall away forever. The second thing I want you to see is we look at the news often on television and we see how our world is uh, crumbling. We brought that out in the Sunday school class this morning, Charlie did, about how uh, the world uh, evolutionists and scientists want to tell us that we're uh, progressing as a people. But the Bible says we are degressing as a people. Amen. We are getting worse and worse every generation, not better and better every generation. And so we look at the news, we see crime, we see terror, we see immorality, we see the abuse of children, of the abuse of women, and the abuse of funding, the abuse of this and that. And it's just sickening to watch the news anymore, isn't it? When I was younger, I didn't mind watching the news. There was some good stuff on there. But today it's terrible. You can't watch. 
In fact, news programs now have to put in a segment that says, here's something good. Isn't that funny that we've got to do that now on our news to say, hey, wait, we've got to take a 30-minute segment and say, here's something good that's happening in our world. And so we are not getting better and better. We are getting worse and worse immorality, uh, immorality and so forth and so on. So Paul tells us here that evil seems like it's winning, that wars are taking place. But Romans 11 reminds us that God is in control. It seems like God is not in control, but Romans 11 tells us that God is in control. Look down in verse 11 with me. Let's read a couple of verses there talking about who is in control. Verse 11 says, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? He's speaking of Israel again. May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression be riches for the world and their failure be riches for the Gentiles, how much more will be their fulfillment? So God says the Jewish people have fallen. Uh, they have turned away from God. They rejected his message. And God then brought that to you and I. So if that happened and that brought salvation to us, by their rejection of it, how much more will we be when they receive that message of salvation? That's Paul's idea. Who's in control? God's in control. He gave that message to the Jews. They were to be the prophets, the preachers, the speakers of the truth of God all over the world. But they failed at that. And so God said, I want the world to be saved. And you haven't done it, so I'm going to take it to the world myself. And he did that through the preaching of the world, word out into the world. So now you and I hear the gospel message, and we receive Christ, and we know Christ. The Jews should have, but they didn't. But you and I have, and we receive him. And now the Jews have become jealous because something they were seeking for a relationship with God, they have not been able to attain that. But you and I have it, amen? We have it through Jesus Christ, so this makes them jealous. Like the kid, they want their toy back. They want their God back, and that's God's whole plan, was to bring the message to the world so the Jews would become jealous and they would long for that relationship with Christ. So when he spurs them in our future and lifts them up and builds that fire in them again, they will recognize Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches us about the future. So the first question is, can, uh, has God rejected his people? No, he hasn't rejected the people. He just took the message and brought it to you and I so that we could be saved. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah that we and I, you and I can be saved because of the message being brought to us. The third thing I want you to see about Romans chapter 11 is this, that if we look beyond ourselves, we will see that God has a great purpose in history. All right, there's more about this world than you and I. Ultimately, uh, that's how we think. You know, the world that I live in is my world. I have to dwell in it. I have to work in it. I have to, to uh, uh, rejoice in it. I have to recreate in it. I have to live in it. 
But ultimately, the world is not about you. The world is about the glory of God. The world is about bringing the glory to God. Look what it says in Habakkuk chapter 2. It says this. Wait a minute, screen. Come on. It went too far. Sorry. Let's see if I can make it work. I can't, Russell. <laughs> Habakkuk chapter 2, if you would. There it is. Nope. There it is. Nope. <laughs> Abracadabra. No. There we go. Hallelujah. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That is God's purpose. It's not about making your life happy. It's not about making you a great person. It's not about any of that. What it is about is God being glorified. And you and I get to come along for the ride. Because we have received his message of grace. We have received the message of salvation. That's what God is after. Now, this book and this chapter has an eternal significance for you and I. As long as I am part of that remnant that we spoke about here. And God and Paul gave us two examples of this remnant that God has for himself. Uh, God cannot, or God's promises cannot fail because they rest upon His sovereignty and not upon our abilities. If God's promises rested upon what I do, then we're in trouble. If God's promises rested upon what you do, you're in trouble. Amen? But thank Him that His promises don't rest upon how we do, or how you do, or how I do, they rest upon who He is and what He says. He's a sovereign God. He can do as He pleases. He can do as He chooses. And He certainly does that. So His sovereign grace is given to us, and you and I must receive that grace. Now, verse 1a, it says this, I say then, God has not rejected His people, has He? May it never be. No, they rejected Him rather than He rejecting them. And so he took the gospel to another place. Now Paul gives us an example of a remnant that God is saving for himself. The first example he gives is Paul himself. Paul was a Jew, if you didn't know that. He was a Jewish man. In fact, he was a Pharisee. And he was high up in the Pharisaical government, so to speak. And Paul was in charge of a lot of things, especially the killing of Christians. And he met the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus to go grab up some more Christians to put them in prison and to have them executed. And on the road to Damascus, Paul met the Lord. Amen. And so his life was changed. He never realized that Jesus was God until that moment, until he met him on that road to Damascus. So all of the while, Paul says, has God rejected his people? No. He says, I'm a Jew, and God saved me. Look at my conversion. God hasn't rejected us as Jewish people. He's still saving some of us, those who believe, those who receive the message. I don't know how you could get away from the message of Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus that Paul had, but it took a big hammer to knock Paul upside the head so that he would see God and understand he needed to be saved. Some of you never got that 
epiphany of God in your life to be saved. You just had faith in God and you became a Christian because you believed his word and his message in Jesus Christ. It took God slapping Paul up beside the head to get his attention. But that's what it took for Paul. All right. And sometimes it takes that for others. Some of you haven't been slapped hard enough yet, and you're still walking in your sin and living in it. You need to listen to what God is saying. He wants to save you. He's trying to save you. He's reaching out to save you. He took the message from the Jews, and he's put it in your lap. He wants you to hear it. He wants you to know. He wants you to be saved. Has God rejected his people? No, Paul says, I'm a Jew, and look what he did for me. So he hasn't rejected all of us. He rejected those who don't believe but he does not reject those who do believe the message. Now, the, gospel, the uh, conversion of Paul gives us two fine points or good points that we need to remember. Number one is this, that the resurrection happened. You see, Paul was uh, after the death of Jesus Christ. Paul thought he was dead and gone, buried in a tomb. Well, yeah, they opened it and they couldn't find his body, but something practical had to happen to the body of Jesus according to Paul until he met him on the road to Damascus and then he knew that Jesus Christ had been raised from the dead hallelujah there's proof in the resurrection right there in the conversion of Paul the apostle also that uh, conversion of Paul signifies that the gospel message saves sinners Paul called himself the chief of sinners you know, he, he was a good religious man, but if you and I had ever met the Apostle Paul, we would be afraid of him. We would be scared to let him know that we had a little bit of trust or faith in Jesus Christ because he would have imprisoned us. He would have thrown us into the locks. He would have taken away our life, separated us from our family. Whatever those things happened at that time, Paul was in charge of that. So we wouldn't have wanted to meet Paul. Remember the man who God said, go and meet the Apostle Paul. He is praying. He is my servant. And Ananias said, oh, I don't think so, Lord. And God encouraged Ananias and said, go pray for him because he's mine now. And so Ananias went to meet the Apostle Paul with his knees knocking and shaking in his boots. I'll guarantee you to meet this man who could have put him in jail and taken his life. But God is faithful. So the conversion of Paul proves that the gospel message saves people and it proves the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So proof number one, Paul says, I am a Jew. God saved me in this time. He has not rejected his people, right? Now, he gives us another example there in verses 2b through 4. Let's read that. He says, or do you not know what the scriptures say in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed thy prophets, they have torn down thine altars, and I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. Now, the story behind that is, you remember, Elijah went to Mount Carmel to have a duel with the prophets of Baal, and there were 450 of these false prophets and they had a duel between Elijah alone and 450 prophets or priests of Baal. 
Elijah comes out victorious because what he asked God to do, God does. What the prophets of Baal asked their gods to do, nothing happens. Because there are no false gods. Amen? There are no other gods besides our God, the Lord God. And so, of course, God gives Elijah victory. And guess what happens? The queen, Ahab's the king. The queen, Jezebel, puts out a hit on Elijah. Says, I'll pay you anybody so much to bring me the head of Elijah. And so Elijah hightails. Now, God's just given him victory over 450 people. But because a woman's after him, he hightails it to the mountains, right? And he gets to the mountains and he sits under a juniper tree, trying to hide also to get some shade. And he starts talking to God. And he says, God, what is up? I'm the only one left who believes in you. Everyone else is gone. I'm the only believer in all of Israel. And God shakes his finger and Elijah says, no, 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 Elijah. I've got 7,000 men who have not bowed their knee to Baal. Right? Let's look where this quote from Romans 11 comes from in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 18. God says, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Now, there's a great controversy about Romans chapter 11 because the people who believe in the election of Christians and the demise of others use this chapter to substantiate their view of election where God chooses some for heaven and chooses some for hell, right? Some of you may not have been chosen for heaven according to this theory that is taught today in churches all over the world. Some of you are chosen to go to heaven and some of you are chosen to go into hell. That's just the way that it is according to this theory that they have. They use chapter 9, chapter 11 to substantiate some of that. But I want to dispute that this morning. I don't believe that God does that. I believe that God wants all men to be saved. I believe that God made uh, that opportunity available to anyone who would receive his gift of grace. They are saved. All men everywhere, who it speaks about in Romans 1, are, have an awareness of God and an awareness of uh, sin and an awareness of salvation. All according to Romans 1. So how can they take the same book, these election uh, teachers and divide it up and say this and that about the theory of election that God would choose some. I, it is beyond me, but that's the case that we're in. And so the text that I just showed you back from 1 Kings 19 says, God says, I will leave 7,000 who have not bowed their knee. The election people want to tell you that God made them not bow their knee. But it doesn't say that. It says they just have not bowed their knee. They are faithful to God. Therefore, they are a remnant that God has saved to Himself. These people who follow Him. These people who love Him. These people who obey Him. They are His remnant. They are His people. Romans 11 says, has God rejected them? Elijah says, they're all gone. I'm the only one. God says, no, you're not. There's 7,000 others in Israel 
that have done what you're doing, Elijah. You're faithful to me. You're obedient to me. You're following me. Romans chapter 11 is just not about what God does with the Jewish people. It's about you and me being a remnant. It's about you and me being faithful to God. It's about you and me serving and being obedient to God. That's what it's about, brother and sister. It's not about Israel and God and the rejection of them. It's about you walking with the Lord and are you in that remnant that is faithful to Him. You know, there's a lot of Christians, so-called Christians today, who want you to be more tolerant of the immorality that's in our country. And it's in the world. They want you to adjust your thinking and your religion to receive and accept these people that the Bible says we shouldn't. We should love them, love the sinner, hate the sin. Do you see that? We should love these people so that we can love them out of their sin into Christ through the gospel message. But we don't need to tolerate and put ourselves in places that associate and bend over backwards for them when they are immoral and unbelieving, even though they use the word Christian. I call them Matthew 7, 21 Christians. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. You see, there's a lot of people today that call themselves Christians, but they don't walk with Jesus. They call themselves Christians, but they don't adhere to his word. They call themselves Christians, but they dabble in every sin that comes around the corner. God is aware of that. God knows. God has a remnant. I might stand up here and say, Lord, I'm the only one that's left. And he's going to say, no, you're not. Look out in your congregation. I have many people who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Are you one of those? That's the question in Romans 11 that we all need to address, that we all need to understand. We all need to make sure where we are and how we are. God says, my promises will not fail. I've not rejected my people. I'm saving a remnant of people all across this world who love me and serve me and obey me. Promises made, promises kept. That's one thing we can learn from Romans chapter 11. Here's another one. God's promises are not based upon our faithfulness. All right? Look in verse 5. In the same way, then, there has also come to be, at the present time, a remnant. In Paul's present time and in our present time, God has a remnant, right? In the same way, then, there has also come to be, at the present time, a remnant according to God's gracious choice. Now, your Bible may rephrase that gracious choice a little bit and make it sound like God has chosen this remnant. But I say this about that verse, that God has chosen to have a remnant. It's not that he chose the remnant. I use an example of King David when he was elected king by God. God sent the prophet Samuel to uh, Obed's 
house to find the king that he was going to anoint. So Samuel goes in, and David has several brothers, older brothers, handsome brothers, strong brothers, good-looking brothers. And Samuel says, oh, wow, look at these boys. Surely that big one right there, God's picking him to be the king. And God says, nope, that ain't him. And Samuel just goes down the line from the oldest to the youngest. And God says, none of those are him. Samuel turns to the father and says, hey, you got any more boys? He said, yeah, I've got a little old tot out there keeping the sheep in the back 40. Samuel says, go get him. They send for David. Here he comes in, the youngest of all the kids. He comes into the house and God says, there he is. That's him. Samuel's thinking, man, he's little. He's ruddy looking. He's, he's the youngest. He's the weakest, but that's the one. And God tells Samuel, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. God's looking at your heart right now, seated in this place. He's hearing what you're thinking. He's seeing what's in your mind. He knows how you feel. He knows your motivation. He knows everything about you. As Crystal's song said, He knows every sin that we have. Why do we try to hide it from Him? We need to confess it to Him. That's the kind of God that we have. That's the kind of God that we are serving. So God's promises to me are not based upon my faithlessness or my faithfulness. They're based upon His Word and who He is. I have to line myself up with Him. I can't become sinless. Some people feel like you can become sinless. You, you won't. You can't. Why? Because you're still in a fleshly body. You don't have a glorified body yet. You still live in a fleshly body. Satan still has a little bit of pull on you, even though you are a Christian. He can still put thoughts in your heart. He can still put ideas in your head. He can still put desires in your body that you have difficulty overcoming and defeating because that's what he can do. He can't force you to do them. He can't make you do them. He just throws them in front of you constantly, throwing them in front of you. And eventually, because we are in a fleshly body, we succumb to those temptations. We say something about someone. We do something to another person. We cheat on our tax return. You don't think that's sin? God says, don't lie. That's in the Ten Commandments. So there's things that we do. We don't become sinless, but we should sin less as Christian people. That's the idea. So God says there is, in the present time, there are a remnant that I have chosen to have by my grace. By my gracious choice, I choose to have a remnant. Amen? Now, the, the idea is who is in that remnant. It's not that you choose to be in the remnant. All right? 
That'd be like choosing teams. Oh, I'm going to choose this team because I like the quarterback. Or I'm going to choose this team because they got a tall guy and can dunk the ball. I want to be on that team. That's not what this is about. It's not about you choosing. It's about God offering and you receiving. That's what it's about. You changing, excuse me, you allowing God to change your life. That's what it's about. You can't change your life. You've tried, haven't you? I tried many years to change mine. I could never get it done until I allowed God to change my life. That's the only way that it can be done. So God has a remnant of people that he has for himself by his gracious choice. Amen? Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through the election of God. Did I misread that? Oh, I did, didn't I? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We're not going to get to heaven and say, man, I did so much better than Gail. Golly, I don't even know how she got up here. Or you're not going to be able to say, man, I, I did so much better than Brother Clay. I, I don't even know how he got up here. Look at the things he did while he was a pastor of that church. You see, there won't be any of that going on in heaven. There won't be any boasting. There won't be any bragging. There won't be any uplifting of ourselves in front of others in heaven. It'll all be by the gracious hand of God that he saved us at all. Amen. None of us deserve it. But he saved us. Who? Those who believe. Those who receive his gift. Those who love. Those who obey. Those who follow him. That's the remnant that he is talking about this morning. You must respond to that gift. You must respond to it. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't buy it. You can't sell it. It's by God's grace and grace alone. It's God's choice to have this remnant. Verse 6 shoots down the election theory. I've already discussed that. I'm going to move on past that. Man wants to earn salvation, but God simply offers salvation. You can't earn it. You do nothing in the saving of yourself except to receive the gift that God offers to you. Can God's promises fail if they're based on us? Yes. But they're not based on us. They're based on Him and His Word. Thank God they're based on His sovereignty. Here is a picture of a guy named Adoniram Judson. He was a missionary long ago to the island of Burma. All right? To the land of Burma, let's say. And while he was there, he spent most of his life there as a missionary. He had very little success. Very little fruit that he was allowed to see from his efforts as a missionary. But today, today, did you know this? And I'm not saying that Baptists are the only ones going to heaven. But did you know this? The land of Burma is the third nation in the world with the largest group of Baptist believers in the world. United States is first, India is second, Burma is third in the world. 
they have 49,000 people in their population. Two million of them are Baptist. All because of one man going and sharing the gospel and going and lighten their world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And over time, God's blessed that country with people coming to faith through Adoniram Judson's, I can't even say his name, testimony in life as he lived there in that land. So, God says, do my promises fill? Oh, here was a quote that he said, the future is as bright as the promises of God. Can God's promises fail? No, they cannot. You may be struggling right now in your life and you don't know which way is up and you don't know what you're going to do tomorrow for money. You don't know what you're going to do tomorrow about your health. Your kids are disruptive. You don't know what to do about it. Let me tell you, the future is as bright as the promises of God and he will help you. He will carry you through those times. Hold your head up. God's promises do not fail his remnant people. Amen. They won't fail. They will come to pass and it will happen for you as well. Let's uh, stand together and pray. Father, we ask you to bless your word this morning. And Lord, I, I, know, that I, 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 I know that it's about your promises this morning and how they succeed. And I pray that if someone's looking for answers in their life right now, that you would bless them with the ability and the hearing to hear you and to know that you have them and to know that they are your child, to know that they are your remnant of people who are here today. I pray, Father, that you reach out into this congregation and you lift up people and reassure them. We know that you won't fix every thing that we ask, but we also know that you will go through anything that we ask with us. Father, I pray today that you encourage this group to look at your promises and to know that they are eternal and faithful. And Father, help us to be the remnant we're supposed to be this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.